Morning, church. How you doing? So good to see baptism, life change on display like that and, and, uh, and in the house this morning. Isn't that good? It's awesome. Any of you up in the chapel? You had fun up there? That's awesome. That was awesome. I heard some big shouts and hurrahs all the way down the hallway. So that was, that was very, very cool. It's good to celebrate. One of the things that we do, uh, we would say, is that every healthy community has connection care, challenge, meaning they know their mission uh, and they have clarity on their role in that mission, what God has called them to do. And the last of those things that we say about every healthy community is that they celebrate. And Ephesians says that we should stir up Galatians, Hebrews, Paul, and almost every uh, letter he writes, he encourages believers to stir one another up and their gifts, whether it's their talents or their gifts, or if it's the things of the spirit or the things of God. And, uh, and so in that, we want to be celebrate, celebrators of one another and the things that God is doing. And so um, let's be that as a church. Let's walk that out. So let's just um, give God praise one more time. Give thanks for what God is doing in their lives. Amen. We're thankful. Um, I believe we had uh, six, was it first service and four in this service? Um, and that was just awesome to be a part of uh, in first service. My son Judah got baptized. That was phenomenal, um, amazing experience um, to, to baptize my son and celebrate that with him. Uh, incredible because as he's doing that, you know, I'm, I wanted to pray for him. I want to charge him into it. But as I'm thinking about him giving his life to Jesus, I'm thinking about the journey ahead. And as, as I prayed for him this week, and as I pray for my kids most night, like I'm thinking about the journey they're in, the world that they're going to live in, and what they're going to have to overcome, the challenges. I don't know about you, like living in your own life, your own walk with God, as you look at it, um, you might say this journey, this walk uh, with God, it's not a walk in the park. Or you, you would say park, right? But it's not quite the walk in the park that maybe we imagine. Um, actually, I would describe it as uh, a journey of discovery, uh, meaning that it's constantly, you know, journeying with God is a, is a journey of discovery, and it's much like climbing a mountain, really, because we're described as more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, amen? And so he has called us to conquer and look at this life ahead, it's described by Paul and many others, as this adventure that is going to be hard. There's a hard road ahead as we follow uh, in Jesus' footsteps, as we say we're followers of Jesus, as we live in this world, of course, uh, but we are passing through. I mean, we're just aliens in this place. And so we're in this world, but not of it, and called to be in it means it's going to be some struggle, right? And in this struggle, uh, you might be looking at what you're looking at and say, Bryce, it's impossible. Like what I'm looking at, what I need, what is in front of me, the situation, the, the call to walk with Jesus or display the fruit of the Spirit in what I'm walking in, man, that's just, that's just impossible. That's hard to do. And I would say it is. I'm with you. Uh, the impossibility is a feeling. Uh, but the reality is, as we lean into God, that He is able. Amen. When we talk about these rhythms of grace, what we're looking at is, we're looking at what we would do in life, what God desired for us to do, what are those that have gone before us would desire for us to have in our life, that we could tackle the mountain that's ahead, the journey of faith that we're in. 
How do we become and, and experience a life where we uh, walk this journey going up what looks impossible and meet those plateaus that we can see on the mountain and run the race that God had marked out for? How do we do that? And uh, I think the rhythms of grace uh, are what we would point to. It's like the training. What is needed to train to get there? I was laughing first service. I looked over at my wife. We've been watching the Rugby World Cup. Praise God. It's been awesome. New Zealand's in the finals. Yay. yay. Oh, you guys, it's awesome. But New Zealand in the finals is great. But as, as my wife pointed out, like I used to play rugby. I don't still carry that physique. All right? I don't look like a rugby player. I get it. But to be a rugby player... Uh, I had to work really hard because I lived on an island where there was lots of islanders and, and influence of different cultures where most of the guys were bigger than I was. And so I had to work really hard where others are just like a natural physique. And so I looked like an oddity out there on the field. Um, but I, I praise God for that because I learned about what it meant to train, train really hard. And in that, I notice in my spiritual walk with God, the impossible things that I face or the, the journeys that I, I'm running in, I see the, the crossover, the same things in building rhythm, in my spiritual growth, my, my spiritual rhythms that I need, they really reflect the same thing that I needed to survive on a rugby field, all right? I mean, it's very, very similar. I needed rhythms that would build me up to be able to face like giants, really, guys that were bigger than me. And I think about most of what we will face ahead of us. We talked about last week, one of the rhythms being prayer. Prayer presented to us in scripture as not a passive response, right? But a powerful answer. Like it is accessing God the Father and, and advocating and standing in the gap in a situation and bringing heaven to earth. It's accessing God and, and, and petitioning him for the things here. It's, it's powerful. It's not passive. And today we talk about the scripture, the word of God and how the word of God is meant to be in our life as a rhythm so for us to be able to face what could look impossible and we can have what we need to face the impossible. And I think about the word of God, I think about this, I think about it when we come to the word of God, it being the meeting of all meetings. And there's many meetings you can have during the week. You're going to have meetings with your dog. When you feed your dog, right, you come down and you meet with your dog and, and all of that. I'm thinking about Annie, my little Annie, and, I, and I'll have a meeting with her once a day when I get down and we feed and she comes up and, you know, and we have this interaction. It's a meeting. I have a meeting, you know, when I wake up and there's my wife and I meet also my child running in. If he wants to jump on me, there's another meeting. Right? It's the people that I'm connecting with first. There's, there's a meeting uh, in my schedule that is the meeting of all meetings. It's the place where everything comes to a head and everything, uh, no topic is not welcome. Everything is welcome in that moding it's, uh, or in that meeting, in that place. It's the meeting with God in His Word. And so I don't know how you look at your meeting with God and, and your time in the Word, but I would, I would say first, if it's going to be a rhythm of grace, you and the Word of God, or you meeting with God, it's got to be the meeting of all meetings. And if you think about all the other meetings that, you, that take place in your life, I would ask you, when and how do you prepare for that meeting? How do you come to that meeting? What, what is put in to that meeting, I know before I bend down, you know, and meet with Annie, I have to ask myself, have I got it in me, right? Getting a little alt. So as I get down, I make sure I have it in me to get back up. I'm not, you say, Bryce, you're not that old. 
I mean, when you have boys jumping on you a lot, okay, I feel at least 20 years more than I should be. My back does anyway sometimes. Pray for me. But there are those meetings that require forethought. They require me to think about them before I get to them. I don't know how your schedule looks with people, but sometimes if you have a meeting in your schedule, you think about it. Yeah? Do you think about your meeting with God before you get there? Do you prepare yourself for that meeting? That's why I say if you think about it as you go into your week this week, the rhythm of getting into God's word first and foremost starts with this, that meeting with God and his word has to be the meeting of all meetings if it's to be in the right place in my life and prioritized correctly. And I would say that I get this uh, from the picture we get when we go in scripture and we see how the scriptures are used, how men of God use scripture, women of God use the scripture in their life. That's how I understand it to be the meeting of all meetings. And the place first that comes to mind is in Joshua. So if you've got your Bibles with you, somebody get excited or open the word of God. Yeah, amen. Yeah, open the word of God to Joshua. We're there in chapter one. And I want to point out how uh, this meeting of meetings is described and given to Joshua. Of course, Joshua is taking over uh, in leadership from Moses and uh, Moses is talking to him and giving him uh, this uh, encouragement or laying out the meeting of meetings, the priority. And so he, it reads like this, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Say very be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book. Say study. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it. And here's the rhythm. Day and night. That's a rhythm. Day and and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all. Say all. All you do. This is my command. Be strong. Here's the third time in three verses we hear this. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When you hear three things, the, the same thing, Three times in scripture and three verses, let me tell you, you should probably pay attention. This is probably extremely important. If it's being repeated, not just once, but it's being repeated here, the third time we hear it, you should be sitting up in your seat going, man, this is very important. Joshua is about to lead. He's going to take over from, from Moses and leading. And Moses is saying, here's the rhythm. Here's what I want you to do. And what does he point to? He points to the word of God. For this to be established in your life as the meeting of all meetings, the priority. He doesn't say, hey, make sure you meet with Aaron. Hey, make, make sure you meet with your comrades. Hey, make sure you sit down with your, your dog in the morning and make sure you, you feed them. No, the most important thing that you can do, the meeting of all meetings is this, you and the word of God. Not just once, but day 
and night. Day and night. On repeat, in rhythm. And of course, he's talking about the Pentateuch, this book that that Moses is handing to him. These law, the word from God that he's written has been established of the genealogy. He's saying, go back and study who's been before you. Who has come before you? What have they done? What have they learned? What has been uh, accounted for, for for this story, this narrative of creation through uh, where we've gone, how we've journeyed, the covenant with Abraham, how we came to be the people of God and where we, where we are today? You're, there are things to learn and you must know them. You must study them. Why? Why would he give them, give this young leader this this instruction. Why is it so important? And I started asking myself, like, okay, if I was to look up to a leader or look up to somebody, what they have in their life and, and, and think oh, they've got strong faith, what are they doing that I am not? Why am I looking up to them? So I started writing my list of all the people I look up to. All those people that I wrote down as I look back, I'm like all, all of them been through stuff. They've all had their fair share of things that just came up that should have, could have, would have thrown me off. Would have made me sit back and maybe question, God, are you there? Are you really in this? And all of them, too, had a strong dependence on the Word of God. All of them. I mean, I can name times when, they, when I turned to them and asked them questions, the first thing that came out of their mouth was Scripture. And I can hear them just rattle off things from memory and I'm, I'm usually struck like, whoa, like that's awesome. You didn't turn to your own wisdom, you turned to the word of God when you were offered an opportunity to speak into something. You didn't just go, hey, yeah, I've learned, here's what I do. No, you turn to the word of God. That to me is a wow factor. Like I wanna lean into, I wanna observe that, I wanna be like that person. The word of God, as I looked at what what that transpired to be in their life, was this one thing, they all were confident. And you could say from the worldly perspective, their confidence, you you could probably say maybe they're a little too confident in their walk. Like if I would compare them to some people who would say they're Christians and they walk, their walk, the other person looked humble, they looked confident. God, help me out with that. I want to follow that confident person. Huh? They made my list. That not, not that humility is bad, but, but I think the Word of God makes us confident. I think it changes us and molds us to be confident. And in our confidence, we can walk in humility. It made them the people that would not shy away from challenges or cower And so I look at this interaction between Moses and Joshua and I say, man, help me, Lord. Help me to be a person who comes to you, the meeting of all meetings for it to be a priority in my life. Here's what he says to him about the meeting of all meetings, what it produces in you. He says, Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey. Don't we love obedience? All the instructions... Moses gave to you, do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. And that rhythm, that rhythm, day or night, becomes something for all of us, hopefully, that challenges us. 
the ideal Bible reading rhythm is set now for all of us, day and night. How does that look for you? Do you look at the Word of God that you have available to you at your fingertips as something that is meant to be in your life as a rhythm, day and night, or not? And ask yourself about the last time you went through a situation and you reacted or responded, would it look different? And I, I put myself in this, in this scenario where I'm playing over in my mind like moments of life where it wasn't a rhythm for me and I look at how I reacted and some of the time, I don't know about you, but I'm in that and I'm going, God, what are you doing? Like, where are you at? My first response when I'm not in rhythm in Scripture and dependent on God and it's not quick to be, hey, I know God this way or He'll do this or He'll do that from the perspective of Scripture. When I'm not in that mode, my reaction was, why? Why are you doing this, God? What is this about? Where are you? In contrast to the life in rhythm with God is for me to be, I'm, I'm approaching a situation with, okay, God, what are you up to here? What are you going to do next? In other words, my response is in faith, knowing God is up to something and I'm supposed to move a certain way. So God, in your hands, how do I go? What do I do? What's my response? Psalmist writes this about this rhythm. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers. But they... Delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all, say all, all they do. Are you hearing this? Like there's a difference. There is a prosper, prosperity life. And don't withdraw from that, like say, oh, prosperity gospel. No, the gospel's always going to prosper you, right? Like that's just truth. You just read it. That if you follow God and you obey him, you trust him, you put the word of God as the meaning of all meanings in your life. Guess what? The word says, and it always proves itself true, you will prosper. You will. The problem with prosperity gospel is that people put it in the first tense and them in the center of the world and they say, it's all now prospering on me. No, God never said that. The way that it prospers you, just to get it straight, is that he has now rescued and saved you and he has called you by name. You prosper. You're in his hands. If that's not prosperous, I don't know what is, right? It's not that the world now bows to you and gives you all that, all that you want, okay? You got that? Are we clear on that? The difference between prosperity, as someone has talked about it, and others have talked about it, and the way that we view it today, is that you are very prosperous if you've been rescued from sin and death. Come on, right? And so now I walk in this, I'm prospering because I am saved. Amen? There's going to be other things in this world that you prosper from as you build up your faith in God. It's just the narrative of the Word of God that we see. You can't escape it. But it's not my reason for giving my life to Jesus. I'll get off of that right now, but let's just go, right? I just know that that's a, that's a trip for some people. But as you hear this and you say, okay, the meeting of all meetings, Bryce, I get it, should be important. Yep, the word of God, I should read it more. Got it, right? 
But there are those of us, and maybe this is you, and I'm just kind of reading your mail a little bit, but you're saying, Bryce, can I really trust that this is true? Like, this is actually the Word of God. I would say, hey, that's a question that I get, that when I'm discipling somebody and they're walking in new faith, or they've been following God for a long time, doesn't matter if I'm walking there and there's a lack of confidence, this is one of those, the top questions that comes out. And let, let's just talk, so let's talk about it real quick, Right? If you're questioning that, let me just tell you that this Bible that you have available to you was written over 1,500 years. It came together over that long period of time. It was written in three different languages by 40 different authors, and yet it tells one story, right? That is incredible. It should read like nonsense, as different languages, different times, different seasons pass, everyone should be writing like the prosperity gospel might read, that it's all about me. And so as we pick it up and we put it all together, translate it into one, one language, it should just read as nonsense. But it doesn't. Because it's God's word. It is God's word. The Holy Spirit breathed it out through man, penned by man in different generations. And much of what they wrote, when they wrote it, they were just like, what is this? You can't, because it's God's word. We can't touch it. They, they couldn't make sense of some of it as they wrote it. Can you imagine being John sitting there on the island of Patmos and, and revelations just coming and you're writing it down? Can you imagine he was writing it going, oh, this is going to be fun to see. Yeah, this is great. No way. This is God's word. God breathed it through man. It's an absolute, incredible miracle of God. So then... As you're thinking about it this morning, and I was thinking about this week, it just kind of blew my mind. The Bible, being that it is coherent, right, is a testimony in itself that this is the Word of God. It's not a bunch of blabber. The historical accuracy, actually, as we look at it and others look at it, is, is making it this thing as we go through time makes it actually stand alone as the historical document that others compare themselves to. If something is claiming to be true, they are gonna use the Bible to test it. Outside of the fact that this book does this, it, it gives us the picture of salvation, the pathway to, for us to come free from sin and death. In other words, the book that you hold in your hands declares or claims to be the key to eternal life. Other than that, like this book is incredible, but just that alone obviously makes it miraculous and should make it the most wanted to be read book because it gives you, it could give you eternal life if you follow it. But God's word penned through men leaves us to question because we see error in man, right? We see Man-made errors all the time. So I would petition to you this morning to see this book as one of those things that stands out from everything else because God desired and designed it to be this. That we would have something in our hands to lead us and guide us when we look at the mountain that is life, the journey that he calls us into, we can now stand on something and know that we can have confidence to attack that mountain and be victorious. The Bible has been read by more people and translated into more language than any other book. And, and I think about this, I think if, if you know this, right, and you might be 
looking at this, you know, Bryce, why is this important? Because I know there are people in the room, you're going to be sitting like I do with other people who are looking to grab hold of faith and they've got questions. And one of the questions they're going to come up with is, can I trust the word of God? And so I want to go over this so that you feel confident, we can be confident. When we're sitting with someone, we can answer those questions and say, hey, listen, you can trust the word of God. Because we're going to point back to the word of God always, right? Amen. And so they need to trust the word of God. So when you're sitting with someone, just use this stuff. Understand that for it to be written over that period of time and for it to be accurate is an absolute miracle. It was written on perishable material, being copied, recopied hundreds of years before it was intended to be printed. But the Bible is that. It is written over generation and generation. It is the evidence that people use, like I said, to prove other literatures to be true. The Jews had special classes of men and their sole job was to perfectly preserve and transmit these documents that we have today. They were bred, literally, to do this job. The Bible is amazing in that it takes the characteristics that we would look at in man and say, why would you write those things down? But when you look at the Bible, you read the Bible, what you're going to hear is imperfect people doing imperfect things. And you would say, if I was going to make a book and we would say it's God's book, we would just put perfect people in it. We would point to the perfection that people walk in. And if I was going to claim that it was God's word and we would read through the word and see imperfect people do imperfect things, we would then what? Say maybe it's not perfect. Does that make sense? It it would stand a reason that we wouldn't read a book that has imperfect people in it. But by God's grace and design, we have the Bible pointing to imperfect people trusting a perfect God. And I, we, we said this in the last series, like we serve an awesome God in the fact that he does this. We, have, we are a covenant-breaking people. We break covenant. But our God is a covenant-keeping God. He is faithful always. He will never, ever, ever let us down. And yet we are a people that regularly let each other down and let him down. And he says, Hey, I got you. That's the message of the gospel of grace. The love that he has says that I will send my son to die for your sins, even though you are sinners, even though you turn from me, even though you turn to yourselves instead of me. The Bible is a book that we can trust. It is a collection of all that God has done. The Bible stood the test of time, all the attempts to crush it. And in uh, 1778, for example, the man Voltaire, the noted French infidel who died there in in 1778, he said that in a hundred years from this time that Christianity would be swept from the existence and passed into history. But what happened was very different, amen? That Voltaire passed himself into history while the circulation of the Bible continues to increase in every part of the world, carrying blessing wherever it goes. Amen? And just interestingly, this, uh, the volunteer dude, only 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society, the Geneva Bible, was was printed on the same press that he created No, he was a part of the This press house 
produced stacks of Bible. The Bible was presented through what was created for evil, what was created to not bring God's glory but to destroy it, ended up being used for good. And I'm so thankful this is our God. Like he takes what is meant for evil and he uses it for good. And here we stand today, blessed to have the Bible in our hands, in our fingertips, a miracle in itself, the collection of literature. If we were to gather all the literature, like if, if right now, if we were to go to university, right? And we would go to that university, there's several in the States right now, we go and they have massive libraries. And we remove the Bible from those libraries and we, we take all the Bible commentaries, take all the Bibles out. And then we go back into that library. We say, okay, there's no more Bibles available. You could go through that library with all the supporting documents that exist in those libraries. You could use all of those supporting things that the Bible's noted to say and do. And you could rewrite the Bible from the existence of all the supporting stuff that exists in secular literature. That's how important the Bible is. So we stand in a season where we can confidently say his word will remain. No matter what the enemy tries to do to squash, to put out the flame of Christianity, to squash the word of God, to kill it, it will never happen. Amen? You guys are half excited. I get it. But the Bible will remain. The word of God is true. Moses was part of writing the scripture when we read that just now, the Pentateuch, the, those books that we have, the genealogy, we have uh, history, we have uh, the things that he wrote about creation and all of that. But there were many other authors. We said 40, there's Peter, a fisherman, Amos, uh, a herdsman, Joshua, a military general, Nehemiah, a cupbearer, Daniel, acting foreign prime minister, right? Luke, a doctor, Solomon, a king, Matthew, a tax collector, Paul, a rabbi, Moses, right? writing in the wilderness, these different places where you think the Bible is written, Jeremiah in a dungeon, Daniel on a hillside in a palace, Luke while traveling, John on an island in exile, then Paul in prison, Paul on a journey, others in military campaigns, written in many different times also, times of war, peace, prosperity, bondage of slavery, hope, hopelessness, heights of joy, depths of despair, victory and defeat, written on three different continents, Asia, Africa and Europe, these places, different languages, Aramaic, Greek, Hebrew. The Bible literally has no equal if you try to compare it just as literature. There is nothing that compares to it. It has prophecy, historical narratives, poetry, wisdom literature, apocalyptic literature, our favorite, right? Letters to churches and friends written for today for us to be able to conquer and be more than conquerors in this life right now. So next time you're sitting discipling somebody and they say, man, how can I trust the word? Just do that. Just give them that. Easy, right? But if you would... I want us to turn to one part of scripture that will help us the most this morning. I think just put it into action, put it into now moments. And I want you to turn to 2 Timothy 3.16 and let's look at how we take this word of God right now and actually put it into practice to be who God called us to be. As you guys are turning to 2 Timothy 3.16, I want to read this. Hebrews, Paul writes, or 4 and 4 verse 12. 
For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is the word of God, what you have available to you every day, every night. This is what you can do. So when you have that meeting of all meetings, what should you expect? How should you interact with the word of God? And, and Paul is writing here, encouraging another young leader like Moses to Joshua. Here's Paul to Timothy. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is... Okay, praise God, the three of you that are here. Let's ask you one more time. It teaches us to do what is... Okay, praise God, that is good because Scripture testifies to Scripture. When you feel like, man, what is going on and you have questions about a Scripture and you're like, is this right? Is this wrong? How do I understand it? Guess what? You can just go back to Scripture because Scripture proves Scripture to be right, which is incredible when you think about it. You can go back a thousand years and read how this other Scripture written 1,200 years after it like you go, how, does, how do I interpret this? Well, you can go back and you can prove the scripture to be right about scripture, which is what Jesus did, right? In his moment, when he was tempted, what did he do? He brought up scripture, right? When the enemy tried to twist scripture and tell him, you can do this, Jesus, what did Jesus do? No, I'm gonna teach you, enemy. I'm gonna teach you, devil, right? What is actually true about scripture? Let me take you back. And he quotes scripture. Scripture proves Scripture. And when you read Jesus reading Scripture, it's actually Scripture proving Scripture that's proving Scripture. Praise God. But this is what Scripture should do. It should help us in the very, very real things of life. Teaching us what is right and what is wrong. So let's go. I've got seven things to do in three minutes. Praise God. Here we go. It's this, it's this, this is a race. Here we go. Number one, all Scripture. Paul says all Scripture. We're not just talking about a little bit. We're not talking about a sliver of Scripture. He says all Scripture from, to the final canon is what? God-breathed. Number two, it's all Scripture. Number two, it's God-breathed. Theonustus, this word of God is the very breath of God infused with life. It is the breath of God. It is alive as we read just now in Hebrews. It is not passive. It is alive and you could say even aggressive in its nature. It is coming after those things that are wrong in your life. As the Holy Spirit empowers the scripture in your life, it's aggressively coming in. It's described as a sword. Let's not treat it like a little paper plate that is thrown at you. It is a sword. It is supposed to cut. God breathes. So when I have my meetings of all meetings, day and night with the word of God, I should anticipate hurting. I should look into that mirror. It shows me what's wrong. And I say, whoa. Because what comes after that, Paul says, it should rebuke. It should rebuke. That means it's seeing something and it is saying, hey, that's wrong. That's wrong. The living word of God shows us where we are wrong. And you should say, thank you. 
Praise God. Right, because we want the truth. So many of us are saying, hey, I want the truth. I want to know what's right. I want to know what's wrong. Where is it? Right here, the word of God. And it shows us where we are wrong. It's not meant to be that I pick up the word of God and I, and I read it and I go, oh yeah, that's where they are wrong. Let me go show them. Thrust it in their nose so they can see where they're wrong. I don't read the word of God to prove someone wrong. I read the word of God because I expect the living word of God to come out like a sword and cut me to the very core of who I am and show me where I'm wrong and correct me and rebuke me. It's the one place where I can just go in knowing, okay, this is gonna hurt, I'm bracing myself, I'm ready for this. And sometimes, I love it, I come out and all I do is get encouraged. God's like, yes, this is awesome. Yes, keep going. Yes, this is awesome. And I go, huh, that was a nice one. And the next time I come back to the word of God, I'm expecting because I'm human. I have all this stuff in my life that's gonna come like a sword and it's gonna cut. And what does he say? He's gonna correct. And when I have something in my life that's not right, this scripture right here that Paul's bringing to Timothy, he says, get ready for it to correct. That's like a surgeon coming in and correcting something that's wrong. He takes out what's bad. He removes what's bad. Correction says he's gonna now make it right. So if he has to put something in, like if you get something wrong with your heart and you need a stint put in, right, that corrects what was wrong. When you come to the word of God, you need to expect it to correct you. That's God's gonna put something in and that's what we call the fruit of the spirit. That in your time with God, in that meeting of meetings, what is wrong gets cut, right? And we get to get changed by the inside and outside stuff, the people around us are gonna see the fruit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, a little bit of self-control. Sorry, I'm running. And then the next one is training. That we get trained, here are the rhythms. Uh, you, can't, you can't get away from this. It doesn't, it's not a one-time thing. Paul says it like this, that you're going to be trained in righteousness, trained in what is right. It's like when I go to be a rugby player, I don't just go and learn how to tackle one time. I have to tackle over and over. And I remember coming away from training in rugby, unlike basketball, right? And coming away from basketball, like, yeah, it was good. That's great. I come away from rugby training and I'd be limping in and I'd be like, why are you playing that sport? I have bruises from here to here from tackling over and over and over because my coach said, we're gonna practice not till you get it perfect, till you stop tackling wrong. So every time I did it, had to be right because it was for my health and the other people I'm tackling. No helmets, no pads, just tackling somebody. And it was trained into me. If one of you jump on the stage right now, I'm gonna show you how I do it. Kidding, kidding, kidding. (laughs) Training is so good because he's speaking to the rhythm. This is supposed to be something in your life that's repetitive day and night. And it's not until you get it perfect, but until you stop getting it wrong. Not one time, but a lifestyle that you now live in and run in so that you can get to the number seven, which is the goal, the mission is to land in this place of right. And you say, Bryce, are we gonna get there? It's not perfection, it's living in the Romans 12, one and two, right? That I would offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I'm not perfect, but I'm gonna give it to him and he's gonna make me holy and pleasing to him. He comes in, cuts out what's bad, what's ugly, and he's gonna make me new again. I'm gonna be like him. So this where I, this is where I arrive. 
where the, the living word of God is equipping us for every good work in his kingdom. Church, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? Because I, I want us to read together and honor the word of God. This is the, the words of Jesus and we're going to end right here. This is the meeting of all meetings. It should be above all other meeting prep that you do. So you should be ready every day, every night to meet with God, to prepare you to climb that mountain. There's no excuse. And if you have an excuse, I'm going to give you this so you have zero excuse. If you don't have a time with God, your meeting of all meetings, that is your time with God in the word of God, you feel like it's lacking, it's lackluster, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt yet, that's not good. Okay, we want it to hurt. I'm kidding. Like we want it to hurt and be encouraging, but we want it to mostly hurt. Okay, that's <laughs> yeah, so encouraging. Here's, here's five things we do. Connect, care, challenge, which is the mission. Get clarity and celebrate. These are the five C's in the word of God, a time with God that can help you build a time with God that becomes the meeting of all meetings in your life. So on your way out, you can grab that. But here's go to Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus talks about these scriptures that we have in our hands. If you have your Bible with you, I want you to grab it and just hold it with you. This word of God. And we're going to read this together, okay? Read this out loud with me right now. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I want you to say it again with me. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. It does not matter Whatever this world does, they cannot squelch, squash, or put out or quieten his words. It is impossible. He spoke it. You have it in your hands. It is now your choice to do with it what you will do with it. It is your response. I love that when we turn this rhythm, when we turn this rhythm into a rhythm of grace, that the enemy loses. At that point, when you turn this rhythm in, into a rhythm of grace in your life, the enemy loses. I want to say this last thing. If, if you've got this rhythm in your life, and it is awesome, like you're soaring. You, you heard this message, and you're like, Bryce, you're describing me, mate. This is what I do. You probably say mate all the time. You, you, you do this well. Please don't, please don't look at the others that don't have it and say, shame on you or laugh at us. Please take it upon yourself to do what the word of God says and be a disciple maker. Grab someone today who doesn't have that rhythm in their life and say, I wanna invest time in you. I wanna help you build this rhythm in your life. If you don't know somebody, come and let me know because I'd love to introduce you to someone who's trying to build this into their life and, and build a rhythm. We are called to make disciples, amen? not to sit and become obese Christians and fill these chairs. We're supposed to go out and change the world. And so be a world changer this week. Look for a way to invest your life in others. Look for a way to build this rhythm as a solid rhythm in your life and allow it to cause change. Father God, I thank you for this week that you're calling us to be world changers. You're calling us to, to come to you and build a meeting of all meetings for it to change our lives from the inside out. And we say, yes, we hear you and we wanna respond correctly. We wanna to run to you with this need. We need your word. We need the faith that it's gonna produce. We need it because you called us to be conquerors and we wanna see victory this week. So God, we give you this, uh, this request and we, and we ask that you help us build strength, 
build courage uh, and, and help us as we make this time and this change this, with this rhythm uh, to make it a priority in our lives. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, if you, if you really have need this week, if you're facing something hard, we have a prayer team that's gonna come up to pray with you, stand with you in that thing, whatever it is, um, whether it's building a rhythm or just anything in life that's hard, um, please come, let us know. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, go be the church and change this community for Jesus. We'll see you next week. God bless.